So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. All right, I'm going to jump right in on this. Uh, Raise your hand if you have been here for any part of our Becoming series. Cool. Yeah, it's been a good series, and I like it because um, I talk all the time about how our church is calling is to usher in the next iteration of Christianity. And I think we're doing that in some really important ways. Uh, but I also say, like, there's ways in which we need to mature. We need to become Christ followers who can also, on the personal level, usher in a new kind of Christianity. And, uh, and so there's been a, a bunch of different ways in which I think we can do that. Um, and it's kind of funny because I probably should have put this message first. So we're going to go backward in order to go forward. Are you all okay with that? All right, cool. Uh, And here's what I want to tell us today. We are going to usher in the next iteration of Christianity on a personal level when we quit being inauthentic in our Christianity. We quit being inauthentic in our Christianity. Now, here's what I'm going to say to you. I'm going to say that I think, for the most part, uh, some of the cultural ways that we are raised, some of the things that we do, uh, uh, we like an inauthentic Christianity. Inauthentic Christianity makes sense for us. Inauthentic Christianity, in fact, I would say, is maybe a popular way that we go about doing Christianity or thinking about Christianity or celebrating our Christianity or whatever it might be. Um, But we are going to usher in the next iteration of Christianity, when we stop being inauthentic. Quit being inauthentic. What does that mean? Well, i got to ask you all, what is the thing that bothers you? What's the thing that makes you feel guilty? What's the thing that brings, like, embarrassment and anxiety to you? What is that thing? Um, if you're like me, uh, I'm, like, dead tired and ready to go to bed. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to bed. And my brain's like, let's not go to bed. Let's stay up and think about all the dumb things you did. And I'm like, no, brain, I'm really tired. And my brain's like, nope, here we go. Remember this time? And I'm like, oh, brain, why? And then I stay up and I think about all the stupid things I've done and all the ways I feel guilty or feel ashamed or whatever. And so for me, like, you know, confessional time, like, I have absolutely in my life been misogynistic. I have consciously used my power and my privilege uh, for my own gain at the expense of other people. There was a time where I got arrested and put in jail for 24 hours, was on probation for a bunch of years. Like, I was, I was dumb. I still think about those things, right? Like, I still think about doing those dumb things or the way I operate or my behavior. Like, there are times I should have been killed, right? Am I the only one or you all have behaviors? Yeah. <laughs> Raise your hands high so I know that you also have behaviors. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah, and, and here's what it is. Now, now, this is not my terminology. This is Christina Cleveland's terminology. This is Richard Rohr. This is Pete Scazzaro, everybody else. But this, this is our shadow self, right? It's the self that we don't want anybody to really know about. It's the self that keeps us up at night. It's the self that if people knew we did those things, you know, people might think differently about us, right? That's the kind of self that that is. And so with the shadow self, what we try to do is we try to get as far away as we can from shadow self. We don't want to be around shadow self. In fact, shadow self is not our best life, right? And and so what we do is we say, you know what? So long as I'm not living out my shadow self, I'm actually a pretty good Christian, right? I'm actually a pretty good Christian. Now, why would we say something that ridiculous? Because of Paul. Let's blame Paul on this one, okay? What Paul does is Paul talks about flesh and spirit. And so right off the bat, Paul is telling us that right off the bat, our shadow selves are really bad things. But then what happens is Paul wants to give us an idea of those really bad things that we should or should not do based on our shadow self. And so this is what Paul says. Paul says, hey, listen, the acts of flesh, your flesh side, they're obvious. 
sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I like how he just keeps it open-ended, just to make us hate ourselves, right? <laughs> and I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so what happens is, is all of a sudden, we take a look at Paul and we go, well, this is pretty simple. If I'm going to, to live in the kingdom of God, if I'm going to inherit the kingdom of God, if I'm going to be a good Christian, well, then I just do the things that, that Paul says I shouldn't do. Now, we have to remember that Paul's chatting with a group of people who are Jewish, okay? And in Judaism, it's an incredible religion, and Judaism has created really wonderful boundaries, right? In fact, there's 613 laws, and for thousands of years, they've lived off these boundaries. And for thousands of years, they've said, like, okay, I know if I do this, I'm good, and if I do this, I'm not so good. And, and so it's an, a nice kind of easy way to live when you have boundaries. And so these people who are Jewish are like, well, now I follow Jesus, and are there new boundaries that I should pay attention to? New things that I should, I should do? And Paul says, yeah, I know that that's kind of your language, kind of the way you've lived. So let me give you some boundaries. And so that's what Paul does. Paul gives us some boundaries. Now, here's the thing. Boundaries are good for a minute. They're not a bad thing necessarily. Okay? I remember talking to someone uh, about 15 years ago when I first started coming back to church. And uh, this person said to me, you know, if I wasn't a Christian, I would still be addicted to crack. And that struck me. I was like, okay, Christianity is a good thing for you. It's created some boundaries for you. It's allowed you to stay away from your shadow self. And I think in, in some sense, uh, there are some behaviors, some ways that we live in our shadow self, and it's good to have boundaries against that thing, right? That's a good thing. Uh, but it's also dangerous, because what we can also do is we can all go, well, listen, I'm not practicing witchcraft right now. No orgies lately, and so I'm good, right? <laughs> and that's what we say. And we're like, this is, my, this is a good Christianity. <sighs> boundaries are only good for so long. I always use my daughters in uh, sermon illustrations, and one day they're going to resent me. But today I'm going to do that again. And so when my kids were really little, like two, uh, you know, we created boundaries, right? Hey, stay away from the stove. Get, get away from the stove, because the stove is hot. And if you touch that stove, you're going to burn yourself. And that's, so when they're like two, that's a really good thing to do, right? It's a really good boundary to set. Now last week, my 12-year-old, she was in the kitchen... And I looked in, and I panicked, because she was touching the stove. And I ran in there, I was like, I told you not to touch the stove, you're going to get hurt. And she's like, Dad, I'm making eggs, I'm 12. <laughs> now, do we see how that doesn't quite work? Do we see how boundaries might be good for a little bit, but after a while, to continue to live with these boundaries as being the, the, the way that our Christianity operates, you see how that's inauthentic. After a while, it doesn't even help us anymore. It actually hinders us. It hurts us. And I say this thing, which always feels a little controversial, but I love it. If you're doing the same thing in your Christianity beliefs and action-wise uh, now that you were doing 15 years ago, you got to think about that. We shouldn't be thinking the same things and doing the same things that we were 15 years ago. We're growing, right? We're making eggs in the kitchen. We are no longer uh, unable to touch the stove, right? And that's what our shadow selves does. Our shadow selves is an inauthentic kind of Christianity. Now, I just want to make one quick distinction, real fast. There are times that our shadow selves think deeply on what has been done to us. Okay? That is different. Because there are things that have been done to us that cause shame and that cause guilt. And there are some people in this room right now, and you, you identify maybe as LGBTQIA, and, and someone has told you that you should feel shame or should feel guilt. I just want to stay for one second. Number one, I am sorry. And this is a safe place for you. And number two, when I talk about shadow self, I am not talking about what's been done to you. Okay? I just want to make that clear. We can move on from there. I just wanted to say that for us. Anyway, 
So what is it then? What, what, what does an authentic Christianity look like? Well, in order for us to get to an authentic Christianity, we no longer talk about our shadow selves and, and make that our, our, our barometer as to whether or not we're doing uh, the right kind of thing or the best kind of Christianity. Um, so I'm going to give us one more inauthentic thing, and I'm going to call this the ego self. And again, this isn't mine. This is Richard Rohr and Christina Cleveland's and Pete Scazzaro's and everybody else who talks about ego self, right? What is your ego self? It's who you project to be. Easy way to think about your ego self. What do you talk about and what do you look like and how do you present yourself at a job interview? That's your ego self, okay? So they say, what's your weakness? And you're like, my weakness is I work too hard? No. <laughs> no. You go home and you play Fortnite and eat cheese puffs. That's what you do. <laughs> Don't lie. And so here's the thing. But, but, but we have this idea that this is who we need to be. This is the self that we need to have. It's our projected self. That is what our ego self looks like. And so the projected self, um, uh, we, we um, how should I put this? Our projected self is okay when other people are okay with us. Our okayness is determined and dictated by whether or not other people are okay with us. Do we get that? And so what happens is we start to, okay, what are other people thinking of us? Now, I, I bring it up all the time, but I gotta bring it up again, social media, right? It's the biggest way that our okayness is determined about whether or not other people are okay with us, right? Bottom line, when's the last time you saw somebody put like a crappy meal on Instagram? <laughs> you haven't, right? Because we don't want people to think that we can't cook and we're like eating like the last remnants of like, Cereal dust with a little bit of milk, right? Like, we don't want people to think that about us, right? It's determined that way. So what do we do? So, so we project. We project. Now, it's interesting, like, when I talk about social media, I think about it. Uh, I was uh, friended by someone I went to high school with, and I hadn't heard from them in, you know, a few, you know, a bunch of years, right? I'm one of the people in the over 35 group. Thanks, Sarah. But I haven't heard from them in a bunch of years. And... Um, and uh, they start posting, and they're posting things that, you know, are legitimately sad. Like, hey, I lost my kids in a custody battle. My ex, I still love my ex. I, I, I want to reconcile. And, like, you know, really kind of heart-wrenching things. And then somebody posted this comment, and the comment was, so-and-so, Facebook is not the place to post these kinds of things. Please stop. And it's like, exactly. Because Facebook is a place we post our ego self, our projected self. The self that is okay when others think that we are okay. Now, here's the thing with that. I think, I think we think that's the Christianity that we should have, and I think we think that because of really bad theology. And so I say this all the time, but I'm going to have to say it again. I'm going to have to talk about the bad theology that some of us grew up with. I did. Hey, how many people grew up with the chasm? Did you all grow up with the chasm where you are on one side and God is on the other side? Who grew up with the chasm? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Now, what was in the middle of the chasm that got us back to God? The cross. The cross was this. So we, we, were, we, were, we were not good. We were separate from God, and then the cross brought us back. Now, there's a few problems with this. Number one, you can't jump over the part of the cross that sticks up in the middle. Like, we're just always going to be stuck on the side, right? That's the bottom line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, here's, <laughs> but here's the other problem with that. The other problem with that is that we're separate from God. That's the other problem. There's a point in our lives where we have been told that we are not good enough from, for God, that we are on the other side away from God. We have been told that, it, it, that our authentic selves, our, our real selves, that self, it cannot get close to God. That's what we've been told. 
And here's the thing. It doesn't matter how many times we thank God for the cross, and it doesn't matter how many times we say we're saved by grace. It doesn't matter how many times we're like, thank you for Jesus. At the, at the, at the beginning, deep within our souls, we are told that at one point we were not good enough. That's what we're told. And so Christianity is all about making sure we get back to our projected self. That's what it is. Because the projected self is what God really wants from us at the end of the day. It's, it's a damaging theology. And so projected self is always like, well, life should be okay. It's the life that God really wanted for me. And so we suffer because we have an ego self, a projected self. And so when things start to go wrong, like when people get sick, it's like, well, my projected self can't fix this. It shouldn't be this way, right? I'm suffering. Or I lost my job. It shouldn't be this way. I'm suffering. I'm in crisis right now. It shouldn't be this way. My projected self wouldn't have it be this way. I'm suffering, right? That's what we do with our projected self. We say, oh my gosh, it shouldn't be this way. Remember last week when I talked about should and shouldn'ts? Right? And that's what we continue to do. We continue to say, well, God really wanted me to do this. And so we can't deal with the bad things that happen. We can't deal with life, the stuff that life throws at us, because it shouldn't have been this way. No, it absolutely should be this way. This is life. Right? We all get that. Now, what about in religion? What about in our Christianity? Why is this inauthentic? Because it stops us from ever taking risks. We're never going to take risks because my okayness is whether or not other people are okay with me. And if I take that big risk, people might not be okay with me, which is why most pastors that stand in this place, especially pastors of really large churches, are never going to say anything controversial ever. And the reason they're never going to say anything controversial is because as soon as they expose people's egos, people get uncomfortable and they walk out the door. That's the bottom line. And maybe some of us have been in that spot too, right? And that's why, that's why, you know, we're not going to take big risks. That's why when people say, well, I'm not sure, or this feels a little gray, we go, no, 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 it can't feel gray. It can't feel gray. There can't be any mystery in this. We, 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 no, don't say that, because that, that's a slippery slope. We're afraid of that thing, because our ego selves tell us that we have to be this way for God. Right? That's an inauthentic Christianity. So what do we do? I mean, shadow selves, it's good for a little bit. It's good while you're young. Create some boundaries for us. What about our ego selves? That's not who we really are. We're people who are made in the image of God. We're made fully in the image of God. And frankly speaking, we can project all day long. We're never going to get to where our projection should be. So what's authentic Christianity? What's Christianity that's going to change things? What's Christianity that's going to usher in the next 500 years? Well, here's what it is. Here's what Paul says. And I like what Paul says. He says this. I just got to find it. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, forbearance, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. I like this, and I like it because a lot of times we say, well, that person, you know, that person can't be this. And I'm like, well, do they have these things? Do they have the fruits of the Spirit? Well, yeah, they do, but, but what? Right? So that's what, that's what Paul says. But Paul doesn't do this justice because, frankly speaking, these words are, um, maybe this is just me. They feel a little passive. They feel a little passive. Right? Like we have to be these passive people. That's just ego stuff, too. That's just projection, too. So, again, what do we do? What do we do? Um, reading a lot of MLK lately, <laughs> and he talks about Jesus being a holy riot. A holy riot! What does that sound like to y'all? I love it. Holy riot. And so I started thinking about the fruits of the Spirit in terms of it being a holy riot. What if, we, what if these things caused riots? <laughs> right? What if doing those things caused riots? So I think about Jesus' first time preaching ever. And he's back at his home church, the church he grew up in, right? Back at his home synagogue. And he's there with, like, you know, his old Sunday school teacher. And, and he's there with, like, everybody's like, hey, when are you getting married? And all that, right? Because that's what people do at the church that you grew up in. And, and, so, and so he's there. And he preaches. And he unrolls the scroll. 
And when he unrolls the scroll, he's reading from Isaiah. And it's this beautiful passage, and it talks about setting the captives free, and it talks about justice, and it says the Lord has proclaimed, the Lord was working through me to proclaim that we are going to set captives free, there's going to be justice. And here's the thing, in, in this passage in Isaiah, there's this last line, and the last line is, and the, ven- and, and the day of vengeance for our God. That's the last line. So basically what's happening is captives are going to be set free, we're all going to have justice, and God is going to get vengeance on the people that have oppressed and hurt us, right? And then Jesus doesn't read that part. He doesn't read it. And his Sunday school teacher is like, Jesus, read it. Come on. High school girlfriend, Jesus, why aren't you reading it? Right? Like all, like, all the things. And Jesus, Jesus doesn't read it. In fact, he rolls up the scroll and he says, today, today, you have heard, you have heard, for this, is, this has come to fruition. I am the one, I am the Messiah, I'm the one that God is talking about. And what does Jesus do? He literally starts a riot. He literally starts a riot because now Sunday school teacher, high school girlfriend, they all literally want to kill him. That's how big of a deal it was. Right? He literally starts a riot. So he has to leave. There's a mob that's coming after him. Why? Why? What does he do? What he does is he says, hey, I'm basically forsaking thousands of years of culture and tradition and interpretation in order to give you something that is going to bring peace and justice that you have never experienced before. That is what's happening. Can you imagine? I don't think we can grasp this. What's going on here? Let's say, let's say it was a Christmas service. And let's say somebody came up on this stage at a Christmas service and said, the way you do Christmas is kind of blasphemous. And not only is it kind of blasphemous, but I know you've had hundreds of years of culture and tradition and your family's tied to it. And it's this big celebration and it's this giant holiday. But I'm here to tell you, you've done it wrong this whole, whole, whole time. You need to change it up. And by the way, that doesn't come from me. That comes from the fact that comes from God because I'm the Messiah. What would you do? Y'all would call the police. <laughs> you would. Or, you know, because we're good Christians, you know what we do? We'd be like, this person needs help. Let's help them. Then we take them to the lobby. <laughs> that's what we do. We try to talk to them. Do you need anything? Are you okay? Right? That's what we would do. Because, because when we do the authentic thing, that causes a holy riot. That's what it does. It, it changes our perspective. It changes our paradigm. And that's what Jesus is doing the whole time. Jesus is going, you know what? I'm not doing a projected thing. For Jesus to, to do a projected thing would be like, I don't want to offend anybody here. We got our culture pretty good. Our, our tradition's good. We interpret scripture pretty well. I'm going to go ahead and read that last part. They have vengeance for our God, right? Jesus isn't doing the whole behavior, the shadow behavior thing. He's not doing the shadow self thing. He's not sitting up there and going, now if we do these things, we're good, and if we do those things, we're bad. No, he's not doing that either. What he's doing is he's saying, I'm going to go ahead and do something crazy controversial, and I'm going to do something because at the end of the day, it brings peace, and it brings justice, and it brings the goodness that God intends, even though it messes with everybody else. That is what it means to be an authentic Christian. That's what authentic Christianity looks like. Jesus does it all the time. Sermon on the Mount. Do we recognize what Jesus is doing? He's going, you have heard it said for thousands of years that this all makes sense for you, that this is the way you should live for thousands of years. And you've based an entire nation around it for thousands of years. And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't look that way anymore. Are we willing to take those kinds of risks? Are we willing to take those kinds of chances? Because projected self people don't take those kinds of risks or chances. We're only okay with what other people think. And when other people hear that, they freak out. Are we willing to say things that might make other people freak out? Our church has done it before. I've talked all the time about how our church has done it before. Are we willing to do it again? Let's do that. Let's be authentic Christians. How are we going to be an authentic Christian? How are we going to create a riot? I want to tell a couple of stories. I want to tell a story about a woman named Claudette Colvin. Anybody ever hear Claudette Colvin? 
1954 in Montgomery, Alabama, Claudette Colvin got on a bus. And she got on a bus and she was tired. And she was tired of racism and she was tired of being considered a second-class citizen and she sat down on the bus where she shouldn't have sat. And the bus driver told her to get up and she didn't get up and so Claudette Colvin was arrested. She was booked. And all those things happened in 1954 in Montgomery, Alabama. Nine months later, there's another woman. You might have heard of her. Her name's Rosa Parks. You ever hear of Rosa Parks? Rosa Parks did the same thing. Right? Sat down, was tired of being a second-class citizen. Sat down, arrested, booked. Now, now, why have we heard of Rosa Parks and not heard of Claudette Colvin? Now, here's the thing. Rosa Parks, amazing. Like, the, 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 the sacrifices that woman made um, to, to, you know, to create a movement are incredible. I'm not taking that away. But Claudette Colvin... She wasn't the person that a movement was created around because she was a little rough around the edges. You see, her behavior, uh, her shadow self was out there in the open. She was 16 years old. She was pregnant, 16 years old. She didn't have the, the standards of beauty that, that many people in the West wish that people would have. Right? She got in trouble a couple times. So we can't listen to that. That's the shadow self. See, it's her shadow behaviors. And, and see, like, I'm not okay with her, so it's going to mean that she's not okay, right? Like, do you see? And, and, and what did Claudette Colvin do? She said, I don't care what y'all think of me. I don't care if my shadow self has been exposed in some ways. What I'm going to do, I'm going to do because it is holy and it is just and it brings peace to this kingdom. And if we're going to do the same thing, let's create some holy riots like Claudette Colvin did. Can we do that? I'm going to tell you one more story. It's last week. It's a story about the Super Bowl. It's a story about the halftime show. Y'all watch the halftime show? Yo, that was amazing. Yo, listen, I wasn't expecting a lot, but it was incredible. And then uh, the thing that was most incredible is, is with J-Lo, she's on the pole, but she does the perpendicular thing where she's like, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I can't do it right now. <laughs> like, I could never do it. I can, never, I can never do it, no. Do you know the core strength you have to have to do that? Oh, my Lord. My kids were watching it with me, and my kids were like, Daddy. I was like, I know. Like, we were all into it. Like, and then Shakira gets on the drums, and I'm like, what a great halftime show. I texted my friends. I was like, that halftime show, huh? And all my friends texted back. We're all white dudes in our 40s. We're like, yeah. Like, we were all really excited. We're all really excited. And then, uh, and then I woke up the next morning, and... Uh, and um, all the pastors on my, on my feeds, they're all like, that wasn't very good. They were like, they were like where's the modesty? Like, and they were like, you know, um, tell me when we stop. Uh, when we, you know, we don't need to sexualize women to be blah, blah. And, and they didn't like it. And, and then I got really scared. I was like, wait, these pastors don't like it. But I'm a pastor and I liked it. What does that mean about me? What does this mean? And I got a little nervous. And it was my ego self. It was my ego self. Because for you know, hundreds of years, we've talked about sexuality as being the biggest sin. Even though we say all sins are the same. No. Sexuality is the one we care about most. Right? Right? And so God forbid you know, somebody comes and actually shows off their sexuality in a powerful and empowering kind of way. Right? God forbid. Because we've always said it's the sex stuff that's really bad. And I couldn't put my finger on it. At first I was like, well, they're not okay with me liking this. And then my friend Carrie Connolly posted this, and I want to read it for you. She said this. She said, two beautiful, rich, powerful, bilingual people of color took your beloved, and they got loud and proud and right up in your face, and they did it with talent and power, and they showed us what America truly is. It's a paradox. 
of beautiful people and children in cages, in a place where radical difference can thrive regardless of the systems of racial and ethnic and misogynist systems that seek to oppress them, in a place where, whether you are comfortable with it or not, is rich with diverse styles of dance and language, and yes, women's sexuality. And that's what my friend Carrie said, and I said, that was it. That's the thing. And what I hear Carrie doing and what I saw Shakira and J-Lo doing, that was like a holy riot. Because it was empowering, and because it did call out systems of injustice, and because it did ask us to confront our, our preconceived notions around sexuality, and because it did ask us to, to rethink things, right? We don't want to do that. Let us get back to our projected selves, right? We don't want to be controversial. Let me just focus on a few behaviors, right? That's what, that's what we want to do. But what they did, what they did was the holy riot. That was the holy riot. And so even though all those pastors said that thing, I said, ooh, I think when I, my daughters grow up, I want them to watch this and, and do the things that they're doing because they're empowering millions. And y'all, we can empower millions too. We can do it. We can do it by saying, yeah, I know this has been our culture and tradition forever, but maybe we should include these people who we traditionally don't include. Maybe it's time for us to start doing that. Oh, and yeah, yeah, you're not going to be okay with me anymore, and I do not care, because I'm creating the same holy riot that Claudette Colvin created, that Jalen Shakira created, and that Jesus created. That is what I'm doing, right? Let's create the holy riot. And so there's going to be times when you are going to be like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to upset this system. Absolutely upset this system, because it's bringing peace, and it's bringing justice, and it's bringing everything that God intended. And here's the last thing that you do in this. The last thing that you do is you do this, not because you think you're going to get on God's good side to do it, but you do it because you realize that God is already there with you, saying that I've created you in my image to do these things. That is why someone said this, and it's brilliant. They said, I think God's biggest challenge is giving God's self to us. We don't want it. We say all the time that we're not worthy of it. We say all the time that, that, that we got to get it right first, our shadow self, but what about, no, let God give God's self to you. You know that thing, the chasm thing? You know what it's been all along? We're both on the same side. We just got to turn around and see that God's been there the entire time. How do we know that? The life of Jesus shows us that. And let's be like Jesus. Let's create some holy riots because God wants nothing more than to let you know that you are a child of God no matter who you are, no matter what your shadow self looks like, no matter what's been done to you, no matter how many times you project something else. And then God says, because you are my child, go and commit holy acts that bring upheaval to this place. And when we do that, we will usher in the next 500 years of Christianity. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the calling you've given us. Thank you for the authentic Christianity you've given us. God, thank you even for the boundaries that you've given us when they're needed. God, thank you for looking, us, looking at us as your children, even though we're never going to be the projected person we want to be. Thank you for showing us Jesus and giving us Jesus so that we get to see what life looks like when we live out the fruits of the Spirit. And Lord, let us not be afraid. Give us courage for such a time as this to answer this calling. We pray all this in your name. Amen.